God is good, amen. amen. God is good, amen. amen. Patrick uh, asked me to fill in for him this week. He is uh, out of town. He went, him and his family went to go be with Bailey out in Abilene for some much deserved family time. So be praying for them and their travels as they join us back later this week. Um, I asked him, what is it he wanted me to, uh, to kind of speak about? What direction did he have in mind? Where, where has he been going? And he said that he had been focusing in, in, in the thought of family. For last week was celebrate new life. We focused on uh, children who have been brought into this family here uh, within the last year or so. And we, we prayed over them. We prayed over their families. And so he, he said, just, just speak on some something that has to do with family. And with Valentine's Day being just passed, I thought, of, uh, I thought of marriages. I thought of relationships. And I know he's going to spend some more time in celebrating marriages here in a couple weeks. But I just wanted to hit on a thought that has been rolling in my mind, and that is a very close parallel to our life, our relationship with God as well. I've been able to do a, a, a few weddings, uh, a lot more than I've, I've really wanted to. Weddings is not something I'm most comfortable with. Uh, they're very formal. The bride's mother scares me. <laughs> you have to sit very still in one little spot, and there's no water allowed while you're officiating. So I've thought of different ways to, to take care of what I've inherited from my father, the, the dry mouth when you're speaking syndrome. Uh, most people call it nerves, but we think it's a medical issue, not, not nerves. Uh, and so I've tried different things. One particular time I, I tried this, this certain mint that was supposed to give me the, the water of life in my, in my mouth while I was speaking. And I remember sitting there talking. And I remember my mouth getting dry, and then I, I began to feel it like it was the desert in there. And this, I, could, I could sense this mint sitting in the side of my cheek, and it was drawing every ounce of liquid in my mouth into that, that mint, and, and it began to make this paste in the side of my mouth. And I could think of, man, they probably think I have rabies now because I'm... <laughs> And my, my gums were just sticking like this, you know, and my tongue was like, I felt like a dog with a peanut butter cracker, you know, yes. It was so nerve-wracking. My first wedding I officiated, I, I was sitting there and I was, I was looking sharp in my suit that I was totally uncomfortable in, and they gave me the rings, I put the rings on, on top of the Bible, and I started talking about rings, and, and, and I started doing this kind of motion, and then the rings just went rolling off the Bible. First wedding. One wedding I officiated. I tell you, I love outside weddings. Christy and I had an outside wedding. I, I love outside weddings. Uh, but two things that, that you do not need in an outside wedding. Well, one thing you don't need an outside wedding, and one thing you don't need in a wedding, period. One is a unity candle. Outside weddings, they just don't work. The whole time I'm having to relight the small individual candles because the wind's blowing by. In fact, I think a crop duster blew over at one point and wiped the whole thing out. But the other was the dog. Uh, whose idea? It was, it was my cousin's idea to have a dog as a ring bearer. And so the dog comes down. I'll just 
little cute little fluffy thing, carrying a fake ring. You know, nobody wanted to trust the dog with a real ring. And then it made that corner, and then it saw the unity candle and thought, fire hydrant. And so right there at the beginning of the wedding, this dog decides to take care of some business. What I do like about weddings is they're not perfect. You plan for them to be perfect. You put all this energy into them, but things mess up. And I think that that is very metaphorical for this young couple who's, who's starting into a relationship that you're going to plan for perfection. You're going to plan for the flowers to look good. You're going to plan for the suit and the dress and, and all, all the things that go with weddings. You're going to plan for the perfect cake. But something's going to go wrong along the way. And I think that's what happens in marriages. At some point, you're trucking along and, and things happen. Let's say some of the top things that, that create struggles in marriage. One is communication. I don't have that problem. I communicate great. It's, it's my wife that, that, no, I'm just joking. I'll pay for that later. Uh, she heard me wrong. She heard me wrong. So we don't have communication problems, right? But communication is one of those things. Another is money. Uh, money is, is something that puts strain on relationships. But one of the third things that I, I saw that was interesting that I really see more evident in the, in the marriages that I've been around is that they say people get lost in their role in their marriage. Meaning they get lost in the doing. They get lost into Oh, I'm a husband, and these are the things I do as a husband, and, and I, I truck along, and I do these things, and that makes me a great husband. Or I'm a wife, and these are the things that I do as a wife. I do this, this, and this, and that makes me a wife. And somewhere along the way, they, they kind of look up and think, what, what happened? It may be when the kids have, have grown and left and, and, and moved off, and they start thinking, where, where did that spark go? Where did our, our love, our first love go? We're just kind of caught in the, in the doing, in the being a husband or being a wife. And he, I know there's, there's at times that some of you have felt that way in your marriage. That you're trucking along, you're doing things right, you're doing things good as a couple and as the individuals, but maybe at some point you stop and you think, where did that love go? that we had back at that wedding day. And it might be different moments that makes you think that. You might actually be at somebody's wedding and you look up and, and they're all googly-eyed over each other and uh, the unity candle's going out and stuff and you think, I remember that. Where did that go? And then one leans over to the other, well, the IRS took it, you know, like... <laughs> it graduated with our children. And you start coming up with reasons, maybe why it's gone. Jesus, he looks at this church. And he sees that they have been trucking along. But he says, something's not right. Something's not what it once was. We're missing something. Let's go look along with Jesus as he writes to the church in Ephesus in Revelations chapter 2, please. Revelations chapter 2. 
He begins, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, this is the data boy moment you want from your coach. This is what you want to hear. I mean, if Jesus came up to you and says, look, I know your deeds. You're going to kind of hold your breath for a second and say, okay, which deeds is he talking about, right? But then he continues, I know your deeds. You work hard. You persevere. You've endured hardships. You don't like wicked. You put it behind you. You detest it. You turn away from it. I know what you do, and what you do is good, he says to them. All of us want to hear those words. All of us would love to hear those words from Jesus. We would love to hear those words from our spouse. Hey, I know what you do. You do so well. You care for me. You do this. You've endured hardships. And this is where Jesus starts off with the church of Ephesus. He's saying, I know what you do. And you're doing good. Your deeds are great. You're working hard. You're enduring. However... There's a yet. Let's look at it. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. He says yet. No one wants the yet side of things, right? Like just give me the good positive stuff of the feedback sandwich. Don't give me the middle stuff, right? Don't give me the yet. However, there's a yet. And I think in our lives, we're trucking along. We're doing things good. We're doing things right. We're doing what we feel like we're supposed to, and there is a yet moment that comes up. Maybe you're at a wedding, and that yet moment takes place in your marriage. Hey, we've been doing great, but yet, where's this? Yet, where's that? And he says, yet you have forsaken your first love. Some translations say lost. Some say you have forgotten or abandoned. It means you have sent away. You have pushed it aside. You have left it. You have left that first love we once had. That's the yet. I had a yet moment. I'm in Walmart in Quinlan, which is a fun place to go. You ought to go sometimes. I think they sell tickets. And I'm sitting there and I'm on the bread aisle and Charlotte comes by. She is the mother of a good friend of mine that I had growing up in junior high and high school. And she looks at me, and she just is, is excited to see me. And she gives me a big old hug. And then she immediately starts laughing at me because she can't believe that this goofy kid she once knew is responsible for other people. And so she just starts talking about, hey, you remember when she starts talking about when I'm a little kid? But then the yet moment comes in for me. The moment that I thought, man, yeah, I've been doing right, but something's not quite the same in my life with my relationship with God as it is in hers. Because this woman, Charlotte, on the bread aisle in Quinlan Walmart for an hour and a half, kid you not, we don't get service in there. My whole family was worried about me. (laughs) 
was praising God. And I'm talking, you could hear her on four aisles that way and four aisles back. She's talking about what God had done in her life, what God had done in her family's life. She was talking about the things that, that God has just stirred and emotions that had brought up. And, I mean, and she begins to cry right here on the bread aisle in Quinlan Walmart professing how great God is. And I'm not talking about tears of sadness, but tears of overwhelming joy and awe for our God Almighty. And I'm just, I'm blown away. Like it's a great moment. But it's a yet moment for me. It's a yet, Jared, you've done great yet. Where's your first love? Where's this? And she even starts talking about her love and her passion and desire for God. Yet, you have abandoned, you have sent away your first love. We may feel like our relationship with God is pretty good or with our spouse is pretty good, but there are yet moments that come into play and we think, what do we do next? So let's continue to read. He says, verse 4, again, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have sent away your first love. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So I see the solution here in the beginning of this verse. It's, it's kind of a couplefold solution that Jesus gives them. And I wrestled with this, this beginning part. Consider how far you have fallen. What was he saying? What was he meaning? And so I, I turned back to the book of Ephesians and I just started reading Ephesians and I started hearing the language that was being used in the book of Ephesians. And I started noticing what, what God was doing in the, and, and, to us and through us and with his people in the book of Ephesians. And he starts using language like, you were a foreigner. You were a stranger. But now... You're a child of God. He starts using this language. And so consider how far you have fallen, meaning that these people have come down from somewhere. So where were they? They were here. And consider how far you have fallen, he says. You were here. You were in, in love. You were in intimacy with me. And now you're just kind of going through the motions. Now you're just doing. Now you're lost in the role of living for me, but you've lost something. So consider that. And so all through the book of Ephesians, and I urge you to go read that this week, the whole thing, notice what's said. You were this, and now you're this. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live by the ways of this world, but now you were alive in Christ Jesus, right? You are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork. You were objects of wrath. You were, you were made for destruction because of your sin and your guilt. But God, who is rich in mercy and abundant in love, gave you grace which saved you. And so he's telling these Ephesians to go back to consider how far you have fallen. Look back where you were because at one time you were fully intimate with me because you saw that you were this, but now you're this. 
I can remember when my, my sister was uh, getting baptized. We are in West Milton, Florida, right outside of Pensacola. And my sister was, was going back to the baptistry, getting ready. My, my dad was going to baptize her. I believe my mom was back there. Now, this is a, a memory of like a seven-year-old, so I don't know how real this, this is. But this is what I remember taking place. And she was back there getting ready to be baptized. And I was sitting back towards the back of the auditorium with the Hatters. And they started using this language that scared me as a child. Because I thought my sister was going to her death, kid you not. Now, there was probably a part of me that was excited about the extra room. <laughs> but as a small child, I remember thinking, this is it. My dad's finally going to drown her. <laughs> it's over. But isn't that real? Wasn't there a moment in this church's life that said, you know what, I'm dead to this stuff. I'm alive in Christ. Wasn't there a time in your life that you thought, you know what, I'm dead to this. This is not me. I'm no longer a foreigner or a stranger. I'm a child of God. And in those moments, those moments that you really saw how God saved you, how God was, was rooted and established in love that, that He so graciously give, gave you, isn't that in that moment that you were the closest to him that you've ever been? And in the moment that we remember what God did for us is the moment that we first fell in love with him. And so he says, consider how far you have fallen. Look back at that moment. Think of those times. And then he carries on the second part of verse 5. He says, Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Repent and do the things. Turn away and do things that you did at first. He's very specific. He's saying, do the things you did at first. Repent. Turn away from something. And so a while back ago, I was listening to uh, Matt Chandler's uh, study on Philippians. And there was two challenges that he gave, and these are the two challenges I want to leave you with today. Don't think that we're almost done. These are going to be really long challenges. He was talking about Philippians, and he said, uh, think of the things that kill your affections for Jesus Christ. Think of the things that kill or still." Or destroy, because that's what Satan intends to do, right? He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. So consider, think of the things that are, that are in your life that are killing the affections that you have for Jesus Christ or for your spouse. So for Matt Chandler, he said, sports, college basketball, he loves. He enjoys it. But he has found that it has been something that kills his affections for Jesus and for his family. And he means it by this. He said there was something wrong that he could get in a bad attitude whether or not a 20-year-old made a shot. And so he realized that when his team won, he was excited. When his team lost, he was kind of down and just kind of griped about things and just was kind of negative. And so he said, you know, for me, I'm not going to watch sports anymore. Because that has the potential for killing and stealing and destroying my affections for Jesus Christ or my affections for my family. 
So what is it that steals and kills and destroys your affections for Jesus Christ? For me, when I start thinking of all the to-do list that I've got to get done, those still kill and destroy feelings for Jesus Christ. Because here, here's what happens. I start thinking of what all I got to get done. Then I, gotta start, then I start thinking of, am I capable? Then I start thinking of my abilities. Then I start thinking of if I'm worth. Like, all this starts bombarding me. And when I start dwelling on that to-do list, that to-do list almost becomes my God. So what steals, kills, and destroys your affections for Jesus Christ or for your spouse? I, uh, I don't like clothes shopping. I think, uh, I think clothes shopping is definitely something that steals, kills, and destroys uh, my relationships for everyone in the world. Uh, I have this OCD's tendencies. Tags back here, uh, they bother me. Uh, and in fact, I've, I've been able to share with my son this healthy awareness of how scary and dangerous tags can be in your clothing. So when you go clothes shopping, when you buy new clothes, there's not just one tag on those things. There's like 10 on one article of clothing. And I know this going into this. And not only that, the nice stuff, they have like tons of pins. And then you got to tuck it in and get it all perfect. And some of the pants that you try on have three buttons. Why? Because I think guys like a good challenge when it's time to go to the bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> but it's scary. And it gets my, my mind going. And literally, I, it, and for some reason, I'll pay people to go do this. Right? Well, my wife knows that this can still kill and destroy my attitude, my affections for Jesus, my affections for her. And so we're pulling up to Coles a couple weeks ago. I can see the lights of Coles in the distance, like, mocking me, <laughs> saying, you think you got this. I'm about to destroy you. I can hear the whispers of the fitting room. And my wife says, peace, be still. She didn't really, but it had been cool. <laughs> She looks at me and she says, Jared, I know you're scared. I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. I'm pretty sure she threw in some quotes from Rocky and Gladiator and Braveheart. Because all I could yell was freedom when I came out of there. But she said, it'll be all right. Just hang in there with me. Let's get this done together. So there are things that kill, steal, and destroy our affections. We need to know how to deal with them. We need to be aware of those. And sometimes we need to just outright get them out of our lives. I think for a lot of us, we watch movies that we don't realize it that still kill and destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse. It wasn't too long ago that, that Christy and I started talking about that. And we got rid of nine seasons of Friends. Just got rid of them. Loved watching them. But embedded in that was things that were opposite of a marriage. Embedded in that was things that were opposite of my relationship with God. And that's not, that, that's not over. We still have to be aware of things. In fact, the other day we watched something and we realized when we were done, we need to get rid of that. 
that's stealing and killing our affections for God and for each other. So what steals, kills your affections for? And the other one is, is similar, but the opposite. What stirs your affections for Jesus Christ? What stirs your affections for your relationship with your spouse? And do those things. I enjoy sitting down and having my coffee, my, my Bible open in the mornings, and a really green, I'm talking green as you can get, banana. And just enjoy sitting there and reading and reminding that no matter what my to-do list is, I need to focus on God's word for a moment. I need to let that start my day. Music. I love listening to music. There's something about when an artist puts together certain lyrics that seems to be blended in my life that make me think, God, you are great. And there's music that makes me think, man, my wife, I'm so glad and thankful to be in such a beautiful relationship. Travel time. I enjoy just being in a car with my wife and just driving down the road. It's like everything else kind of starts to zone out for a little bit. Sometimes we talk about the stress of the world. Sometimes we just listen to music, talk about our kids. Moments of reconciliation. When I see moments of reconciliation, I think God is a good God. Amen? When I see even movies that show unity where there's been diversity, when there's glimpses of great forgiveness and restored relationships, I think, wow, God is good. When I'm running, I call it running. Most people would call it power walking. <laughs> Only difference is, is I don't wear a fanny pack, all right? <laughs> but when I run, I listen to a sermon, I listen to music, there's something that, that happens when I'm out there by myself jogging. I don't know if it's the near-death experience of lack of oxygen or what, but there's moments where I think, man, God is good. And I want to do this better in my life because he's so good. Man, I, my wife is so wonderful. I want to be a, a better husband. Man, I want to be a better father. So these are moments that stirs affections in my life. And those are the moments that i got to spend more time in. And the moments that still kill and destroy, those are moments I've got to be aware of and i even got to get rid of. So what stirs your affections for Jesus Christ? For those of you that are in a relationship, what stirs your affections for the one you love? Because God's not asking us just to go through the motions. He says to the church, you're doing great. Your emotions are right on. Your deeds are awesome. But he tells them, I want intimacy. I want that first love. So, to the church of Lamar Avenue, I know your deeds. To the individuals, of Lamar Avenue, I know your deeds. To the marriages that are here in Lamar Avenue, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown tired and weary. Yet, find your first love. Do the things that stir that first love back into your life. And repent and get rid of the things that draw you away from me. May God bless, and if you need anything from this body of believers here, you can come as we stand and as we sing.